This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. In the autumn of 2004, things weren't perhaps as rosy as they could have been for Rafael Benitez's Liverpool. Eight points behind fourth place Middlesbrough. Yes, Middlesbrough. The Reds sat eighth in the Premier League. In Europe, Liverpool led the way in their Champions League group, topping Group A with seven points from four games ahead of Olympiacos on goal difference. Up next, a trip to Monaco. The previous season's beaten finalists, who sat on six points, who'd been beaten 2-0 at Anfield on match day one. I'm Guy Clark, and this is the road to Istanbul here on Blood Red as we retrace Liverpool's steps to the Champions League final back in 2005 with the current European champions hoping to recreate that drama this summer. Alongside me for the latest step on the road as usual is our resident Red Dan K. Dan how are you? I'm very well thanks guy yourself? Yeah not so bad we weren't partnered on the uh, last episode Stephen Warnock came into the uh, the studio to reminisce on the game away in Deportivo which mm. proved to be a vital game in this campaign. Well, it was specifically because Liverpool had reached the halfway point after the the home draw against the Span against Deport on match day three, <coughs> with only uh, four points from nine, having lost in Greece uh, and drawn at home to to Deportivo after the opening win against Monaco. So, I, I, I do remember that fourth game of the group Deportivo away, very much thinking that we've got. And, and I think I'm right. Did Deport get to the semis the year before? Yeah. So they, you know, and they, they, that was the year they knocked AC Milan out with that fantastic comeback from four one down in the first leg. So there was very much a feeling that kind of like if we don't get a result in Spain, Europe could be over. We could we could be looking at the Europa League. And to be honest, I don't think there was. There were, I, I, I don't. I think. Do we do we lose at home to Birmingham either just before or just or, or uh, just before the Deportivo away game? Darren Anderson scored. Liverpool was so hit and miss. I do remember. I remember going out to town to watch the, the, the Deportivo away game, thinking with very little expectation of a win. And Igor Biscan did one of as he was starting to come into his own and, and enhancing his cult status. Came up with a amazing little run through midfield that led to an opening goal quite early on in the first twenty minutes, and they managed to see it through. Which was, you know, I, I think it's fair to say, without that three points, Liverpool would not have qualified. No matter what happens later on against. Olympiacos in the final group game, as obviously we'll get to in due course. But even as we as we approached match day five, Liverpool came into this game on the back of a, a disappointing two 0 away defeat to Middlesbrough, who, as you pointed out just before, were riding high, quite fourth in the table. Yep. But Middlesbrough's always going to be one of those places that we feel we should be going and getting a result. So similar to Bolton, early part of the season, Liverpool went there and obviously lost, didn't they? And Bolton at this time were under Sam Allardyce and were a side who, I think a couple of years before, it had been between them and West Ham staying up. But this was sort of a a time for them where, and like Middlesbrough, they would be at a time where they were about to win the uh, League Cup or they may may have won it the year before. I think Bolton and Middlesbrough played each other in the the, the, the the final, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did play each other in that game. They were two sides who were upwardly mobile and this was the time of, I suppose, we talk about the top six now, then it was very much the top four Mm. and they were the de facto, I suppose, Leicester and Wolves of the day. Yeah, yeah, that's very much how, how... how everyone was perceiving it at the time, but and even though there was an understanding and an awareness that Rafa had only just come in and he wasn't going to wave a magic wand and have us eight points clear at the top of the league like we are now, it was it was a very very erratic period of results when you you know you would turn up week in week out not really knowing what you were going to 
not uh, not really knowing what you were going to see in front of you and, and how things would go. And, you know, that kind of roller coaster element really continued for much of the season. And you said about the Birmingham game, it was the, the one after Deportivo. And mm. you say there about Erratic, it seemed very patchy. There would be these great highs and then these lows that mm. you didn't really expect. And those even within games, obviously we will get to Olympiacos, it's the next game on the journey. But this one, going away to Monaco, said in the intro, the, the beaten finalists of the year before. Mm. It really was, I suppose, do or die at this stage that Liverpool backed themselves into a corner of back-to-back away games in the group at yeah. Deportivo. And, and that and was why I think that, you know, knowing that the, you know, having got to the halfway point, two out of the last three were away, that's why there was such enormous pressure on them going into that Deportivo game. So, you know, even if there was a, a you know an upturn in, in mood and optimism that they'd got the result in Depor, um, everyone knew it was going to be a very hard game in Monaco. It's you know it's not exactly one of the huge citadels of European football where you've got eighty thousand screaming at you and banners and flares and all the rest of it. But as you said, they were the previous season's finalists. They were exper- you know far more experienced. European campaigners than, than than Liverpool were at that stage, so the fact that we got the results in against La, in, in La Coruña meant that it wasn't absolutely do or die, and obviously that ended up proving to be the case because we lost the game um, and still had a chance of qualifying. There was the hope that you know Liverpool could go, <coughs> excuse me, and even get a draw against Monaco. It would at least mean that maybe we'd only need to draw at home in the final match, um, but. It was it was very much make do and mend and uh, as as we'll get to this game kind of proved as it wore on even from the first few minutes that Lady Luck wasn't particularly smiling on Liverpool at this stage particularly in terms of injuries the squad was already quite injury hit I think this was Stephen Gerrard's first game back after a spell out the side so there was bound to be an inevitable rustiness there Jamie Carragher this was this was the start of Carragher's career as a centre back it's easy to forget that for the first. Six or seven years of his Liverpool career, he largely played in the fullback positions. It was Rafa Benitez that moved him across the centre back, and even if he was already showing why he was moved there, why Rafa thought he had a future there, and signs of the world class central defender that he was going on to become, that uncertainty at the back, obviously in terms of goalkeeping, you know, Liverpool ended up using a number, you know, a number of goalkeepers this season. It was it was a scratchy season and a scratchy, particularly a scratchy stage in the season. I think once we got into the new year. There was a confidence that, because of obviously, as we'll get to, how Liverpool qualify for the knockouts, that maybe there was a bit of, a, of momentum. But at this stage, there wasn't. And, you know, arguably the biggest result of the season so far came in the league the weekend after this when Arsenal were beaten at Anfield. But going into going into Monaco away, there was still questions about this Liverpool side. Can they perform in the big matches, the, the matches that really matter? And up to a point so far... In this season, they hadn't yet. And not only did this sort of set up what needed to come in the last group game because of the result, but also the way the story of the game went. And you mentioned early on, from early on in the game, it didn't go Liverpool's way. Liverpool lost the game 1-0, Saviola scored. That was contentious in itself. Mm. But inside three minutes, Luis Garcia is being stretched off with a hamstring injury, which, as I say, led into the context of what happened with Jibril Cisse having already broken his leg yeah. at Blackburn Rovers away and Milan Barros having picked up an injury himself, it would eventually open the door for the likes of Cinema Pongol and, of course, Neil Meller to, to show what they could do more, I suppose, through necessity than choice for Rafa Benitez. Well, absolutely. You know, and, and 
even at the start of the season, I think a lot of Liverpool fans would have looked at the squad and said, we are a little bit light up front. Barros and Cissé, obviously Garcia was completely unknown. You know, no one would ever say he was an out-and-out striker. He ended up going on to have, you know, in the two and a half seasons that he played for Liverpool, a very prolific time in front of goal, but he was never an out-and-out front man. And as you say, Cissé's horrendous compound fracture at Blackburn basically Pretty, you know, at the time, pretty much ruled him out for the season. Obviously, as we know, he, he came back only right at the end. Um, and Barros, you know, Barros was still a young player. Barros was only about 22. He'd only been around the scene for a, a season or two. He'd scored a hat-trick earlier in the month against Crystal Palace uh, in a 3-2 home win. But to be without the two of them, um, and then to lose Garcia, who... And I think it should be said at, at this point about Garcia, the jury was still very much out with him. You know, he'd scored a couple of goals by this stage. He'd, he'd had a couple of nice flicks and decent games here and there. But speaking personally, um, I was still a bit concerned about is he a little bit lightweight for the league? And to be honest, from from my point of view, I remember a game in the January uh, when we lost 2-0 at Southampton in the league. Peter Crouch scored <coughs> for the Saints. And, and I think, supposedly, that's one of the things that you know, really alerted him to Rafa's attention. And obviously, he was brought in the following summer. But it was, it was another abject away performance. We lost 2-0. And I do remember chatting to a friend afterwards saying, Garcia, he's never going to make it for us. He's too flimsy. He's too lightweight. And it was the it was the return Anfield derby in March, by which stage Everton Ward had a healthy lead over us in fourth. By this stage, they'd won the, the Goodison derby, which came just after the final Champions League group game. And it was a game that Liverpool absolutely had to win. I think it was just after the, I think it was the weekend after the quarterfinal draw when we'd been paired with Juventus having knocked out Leverkusen in the the knockouts. And in this game, Liverpool went two up after half an hour, free kick from Gerrard and a header from from Garcia after Morienta has hit the bar. But this is a day that stands out for me. And to me, this was the day, this was the making of Luis Garcia because Everton, as is, sometimes they won't when they're getting beaten in a cup final, uh, beating in, beaten in a derby. I think Freud and Lee kind of must have thought their cup final, a derby. Um, as, as is often the case, they decided to kick, every, kick anything and everything that moved. And by half-time, Liverpool had already made all three substitutions because of injuries. And Garcia was now hobbling because he'd taken what looked like a very hefty knock. And But he came out for the start of the second half, even though clearly limited in terms of his movement and what he could do because of the injury. And he just, you know, he played the 90 minutes. He was a nuisance to Everton. Everton pulled the goal back. Barros got sent off, but we held on and won two one. And that was the day that I said to me, "You're right. He might only be five foot nothing like myself, Garcia, but he's got a heart. He's got some ticker. He's got a heart. He's got a bit of courage and character to him." But at this stage, like I say, the jury was out, and so he went off injured. And I, just from doing me quick little bit of homework before this, even his replacement Hosmi came on, <coughs> came on to replace Garcia. So, when slotted in at right back, so Steve Finnan, who was started at right back, was moved further forward to play kind of right side midfield, which is where Garcia was playing, which, you know, with all due respect to Finnan, who was a very steady performer for Liverpool, he was never, he was never really a midfielder. No, but it, that was a, a thing that came up with speaking with Stephen Warnock last time about how he was saying at his stage in his development, he'd been on loan at Coventry and at this season he was really a, a midfield player but Rafa Benitez started to move to a defender. But mm. So much, especially through this Champions League season, 
we saw Rafa Benitez effectively play two fullbacks because even in this game, Traore and Risa are both playing down the left-hand side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then both when, fullbacks, yeah. And then when Hossamy comes on, it's the same down the right-hand side. Now, Stephen Warnock was saying, like when he, he, he didn't come on in Deportivo, but when, for example, playing at Olympiacos in the first away game in the group, that he'd played in front of Risa, hadn't had a great time and got pulled off at, at half-time. But it very much, especially in these away games, seemed to be the way for Rafa and how... Again, I reference what Stephen said, how Rafa would go into games where the team would be probably going into this game thinking, right, we win this, we're in a strong position mm. before we have our final home game. Rafa turned the thinking on its head saying to the squad, actually, what result do you need today? You don't need a win. Yeah, You yeah. can take a draw and we can go with that. And this perhaps may have been the game plan from Rafa in this get away with a draw, which obviously didn't quite come out. But, but a draw would have been a decent yeah. result. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dispute any of that guy. I mean, I, I wonder if part of it may be what's the saying? You know, necessity is the mother of invention, and the fact that you know the squad was thin already, it was hampered by injuries. I mean, there's no getting away from the fact. Don't get me wrong. I will always think the world of him, love the bones of him, Rafa Benitez, but he was, you know. He was more. He was more a, a defensive manager than an attacking manager. I think that's fair to say. I don't think even his his biggest fans would say that. You know, we had a, a conservative streak running through them. But in in European away matches, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. We we we, we've, we sometimes see it now. Even even under Jurgen Klopp's all out attack in Liverpool, um, occasionally if he's looking to, to close a game out, I think we've seen it a few times in the last couple of months, in the last couple of weeks and months. When if Liverpool are holding on to a goal lead with 10-15 minutes to go, he'll bring on Joe Gomez to play right back, and he'll push Trent Alexander-Arnold up into midfield, who yeah. obviously yeah will have license to go forward and get crosses in, but will also give uh, Joe that extra protection at the right at right back, where which he maybe wouldn't get from Mohamed Salah. So it's it taps into that kind of same principle, and you know on the face of it, they wouldn't you know you wouldn't necessarily say it's anything to criticise him for. Particularly because, as I say, I, I don't not sure he had an awful lot of other options at this particular stage. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And the point you were making in talking about Steve Finn and the right winger was the fact that Hossamy had come on, but himself wouldn't last the distance either. No, I mean, well, Hossamy was one. Hossamy had um, a really good, you know, a, quite a bright start to his Liverpool career. I remember being in his debut at Tottenham on the opening day of the season when we drew 1 1. Cissé scored and Defoe equalised, and he was arguably man of the match that day. And for the first month or two, he looked like a re- you know, looked like we really had the, the right back slot absolutely nailed down. One of my favourite games from that season was mid October, um, first time I ever went to Craven Cottage, um, and Liverpool were two down at half time to Fulham, fought back to win four two in the end. But Hosmi was sent off in that game. I think just after we got back into it at two at two. two or possibly even after we'd gone in front of it at 3-2. Um, and it seemed like that really was the beginning of his star beginning to wane, Point, yeah. sadly. And after after those first couple of weeks when you kind of thought, wow, this guy could be a really solid performer at right back for us. By the time the second half of the season kind of wore on, we began to see less and less of Hosomi, which of course made the irony of him positioning himself front and centre in Istanbul for the trophy lift. Um Guarded quite a few um, wry comments and and uh, <coughs> and reaction afterwards because um, there were arguably a lot uh, more significant performers, should we say, that should have been maybe a bit more prominent in those pictures. But 
He played his he played his part, Hossamy. You know, he, he'll he'll be always be part of that Liverpool oh four oh five squad. Um, but uh, yeah, he he was. Let, let's be honest, they, we're, we're very fortunate to have someone there like Trent now, who really is light years beyond anything Hossamy could ever have offered. Yeah, certainly. And Hossamy coming off in this game, I think, with a head injury, mm. like Garcia having to be stretched off. Garcia is a, a muscle injury, and Hossamy with a um, with a head injury. But it was, as you said before, necessity then bred out what was going to happen, certainly in those forward positions. And I, I bet it was sort of the stage of the season. You sort of say the, the game's coming up for Liverpool after this. We're Arsenal at Anfield, Tottenham away in the League Cup mm-hmm. before Villa came to Anfield as well. On that the face away. of it, was, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, Villa Villa away. On the face of it, three big sides that Liverpool had to face, and without really much of a forward attack. And given how the result went in the other group game in this, knowing that the Olympiacos game, if there was one thing they were going to need, was to be tight at the back and goals up up front. Well, absolutely. And and again, from you know the brief little bit of research I did before this, I forgot that in actual facts, um, Dimar Haman picked up a yellow card in Monaco, which ruled him out of the final group game against against Olympiacos. And at the time, that will have felt like a very significant blow because particularly knowing that you're going to have to <coughs> attack a game at home, score a number of goals, Olympiacos, all right, they're, they're notorious for not being particularly good travellers in Europe, but they had players like uh, Rivaldo and Giovanni, uh, two former Barcelona, uh, two Brazilian former Barcelona players in the squad. And it did kind of feel that, you know, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Um the, the 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 way that the other result panned out meant that we knew at the conclusion of this Monaco match that Liverpool were now faced with basically an identical situation that they faced um, where in the final group going home to Napoli last season, where due to the vagaries of the group and and the rules, Liverpool either had to win one nil or by two clear goals, yes. um, and. <laughs> Oh, it's chalk and cheese. It's, it's it's apples and oranges compared to where we are now. But the reality is, Liverpool have not kept many clean sheets in 2019-20, and they hadn't kept many clean sheets in 2004-5 either. So there was so there was this kind of expectation. Well, if we're going to go through, it's going to need to be by two clear goals because the chances. And I think I'm right in saying Olympiacos still had hopes of qualifying themselves. Yeah, they were yeah. after this. They were they were top of the group. They, they were, were on ten the points. There you go. So, so it wasn't just like they were just going to, you know, that they were they they had something to play for. Now you can look at that two ways. That that might say, all right, well, they've got to come out and play, so they, you know, they're not just going to park the bus and put everyone behind the ball. But it just meant that that loss of Haman, you did worry, could be potentially fatal for our for our chances of getting out the group. Yeah, it was a game that with Monaco winning left them on nine points. Olympiacos were top on ten, Liverpool on seven. We've gone through the permutations before, but. Monaco threw that goal from Saviola. I think a number of Liverpool players, I was watching the goal back earlier today and as soon as it went to the Argentine, it, it seemed to hit a part of his body that's not legal inside the penalty area, certainly. He put it in the back of the net and immediately the appeals went into the referee. He didn't want to know. Well, to, to use an old Scouse expression, he virtually had the lace out. You know, it, it was it was, it was was a clear handball. Obviously, this is long, long before VAR. Um and it was one of those ones that Liverpool had to take on the chin. Uh, the you know the the 
bits of information I found about the game. There's some quotes from Rafa Benitez after the game who was, you know, pretty angry uh, about the decision and also the referee's reaction to the decision who, um, in Rafa's quotes, point, you know, when my staff went to see him afterwards to talk to him, he was smiling. I do not understand that. Um, when you see a referee in the right place and he still does not give the handball and the linesman is also in the right spot to it and it's not given... I don't think we need video evidence, but it's important to have a referee with a clear conscience. don't know if you get away with comments like that now. Um, Didier Deschamps, who was the Monaco manager at the time, even he basically admitted that it looked like a handball. But of course, this was how football was back then. There was no VAR, there was no second chances or, or, or recourse to any kind of video technology. If you got a bum decision, you just had to live with it and hope that next time it came out in your favour. Um but obviously tying into the injury situation, the injuries in Liverpool picked up during this match, um, it just, it was a difficult time. And, I'd, you know, coming in, you know, at, following this match, going into the weekend against Arsenal, Arsenal, this was, um, this was still essentially the, the invincible Arsenal that had gone un, unbeaten in the league throughout the entire 2003-04 Premier League season. They'd only lost one match at Manchester United, a month or so before, which they were, I would argue, kicked and cheated out of. Um, so they were still a very, very formidable opposition. And, you know, I don't think I would have been alone in in worrying. And, and you know, the, the final kind of batch of quotes from the Monaco post-match stuff was from Gerard basically saying it was a difficult match and we're gutted with the result, but I don't think we played well enough. And I think that is fair. You know, in spite of however much hard luck stories Liverpool can come up with for this Monaco match, they didn't really... Certainly didn't do anything to to win, you know, enough to win the game, and arguably even enough to win a draw. And there was a concern that you know, if we weren't, if if <coughs> if if um, if the breaks kept going against us at the weekend against Arsenal, we could get a real hiding at home from you know the team that was still the the the, the reigning champions at the time. And I suppose one of the the worries looking at the. Liverpool team at the time, certainly in the Champions League, only three goals scored in the five games at the completion of this. Mm. That that goal that Saviola scored, only the second though that had been conceded. They were, I mean, we've we've gone through it: two nil against Monaco, one nil away at Olympiacos, nil nil against Deportivo, one nil away win. Now one nil away defeat. They were all very tight, cagey matches. Yeah, and I think that was maybe the one thing that gave you a little bit of hope that this team. Still had a chance, you know. All right, they, they, we weren't scoring anything like enough goals, but we weren't conceding any. You know, it, it's it's an immutable law. I think of virtually any fo- new football manager when he comes into a team, the first thing you do is you shore things up at the back and make make your team hard to beat and hard to break down. And then obviously you look to try and expand and build on it from there. And that's you know, obviously as as time went on, we got to know and understand a little bit more about Rafa and his approach to the game. Um. And listen, Rafa's team could attack. Don't you know? You don't win a European Cup and an FA Cup and come, you know, come within a couple of points of winning a league title without being able to attack. But he always knew how to set up a team to be defensive when they needed to be, tactical when they needed to be, and, and, and close games out when they needed to be. And the fact that by this, certainly in Europe, we'd already seen some signs of this. I think it gave you that little bit of encouragement that. There was there was still some specks of hope, but it was all ultimately going to come down to the final group game against Olympiacos, and we were you know, all right, it was three three years pre. We were kind of three and a half years since Liverpool had won the UEFA Cup. It's not you know now, 
fabled Anfield nights are still very fresh in the memory, obviously not just from Madrid, but Kiev. Yeah. And you know, Liverpool have been serial performers in, in, at Europe's top table the last 10, 15 years. That wasn't really the case in 2004, but the memories of that 2000-2001 Euro UEFA Cup once were still relatively fresh in the memory. And we did have a bit of preview. I always talk about the forgotten Olympiacos game because we played them over two legs in the UEFA Cup run in 2000. 2001. It was the, I think it was the third round match after we knocked out Rapid Bucharest and Slovan Liberec, and we went to Greece at the end of November. Drew two, drew two all. Played very well actually, uh, and arguably could have won. The, I think I think they only equalised in the last minute, so we yeah, they virtually won the game. But it was kind of set it up for a second leg, <coughs> where we had two goals in the bag. But you still knew Olympiacos were a bit of a European name, and and you know in 2000 Liverpool had virtually. No recent European heritage, um, and and it was it was a really good night. That Heskey scored in the first half, Barnby scored in the second half. Liverpool won two nil, and to you know, to set up what would be a, a last sixteen clash with Roma. So again, this was a, you know only a couple of years fresh in the memory. So there was, I think we we were conv- trying to convince ourselves that well, we can turn Anfield into a bear pit. The Greeks might not fancy it, but what would be critical and obviously we'll get onto that in a couple of weeks time for the Olympiacos for the Olympiacos game was that Liverpool would need a couple of breaks and they got them that night and I suppose though in what you're saying because I was going to say for Rafa Benitez all of the tactical game plan the players that he would have to choose from that he'd have to fit into that jigsaw the one thing he probably couldn't count for that I don't think he probably realised the significance of and perhaps the Arsenal game gave him a brief insight into it with Mella scoring so late mm-hmm. was the impact that Anfield could hold and could have because we spoke about the Monaco reverse game the first group game that was near on sort of 10,000 empty yeah. seats which was surprising when you can, when you consider this was Liverpool this was only Liverpool's third ever Champions League campaign um I don't remember the the ticket prices being like insanely higher than normal um Maybe, I think I'm right in saying Champions League games were shown on, some Champions League games were still shown on live on Terrestrial TV at the time. Yeah, and I think Monaco, I think Monaco, I think it was shown. I seem to remember Clive Hills doing the commentary, so I think that might have been shown live that night. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Anfield factor, I think, was always going to be an issue. Um, and something you touched on before, and again, you know, I, I said partly through necessities and invention, and obviously the Arsenal game, coming up at the weekend, very much the Tottenham League Cup tie the weekend after. And obviously, as we'll get on to the Olympiacos, uh, the, the, the critical Olympiacos game, a lot of it would go, come down to uh, some of the, are these young players going to be able to step up in light of the injuries that Liverpool have got on the kind of senior players, and even the senior players who weren't even that old, like Cissé and Barros. Could the likes of Mella and Pongol and later in the campaign, Anthony Latalek, yep. step up and deliver? <coughs> and they very much did. Well, Dan, that takes us through the fifth Champions League group game. The sixth one, we've alluded to it and spoken, I suppose, at length already about it. Olympiacos coming up in a couple of weeks' time. We'll be back then to talk through it all. I hope you can join us for that. Thanks for your company, though, here on Blood Red for the latest instalment on the road to Istanbul. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.